Before we jump into today's topic, a quick disclaimer. The stories and data we share come from the states that we practice in and the experiences that we personally had, which can differ greatly across our country and certainly the globe. This is not a professional advice show. So let's get comfy and talk about death. Hello and welcome to Mort Mike. A down-to-earth discussion on death and dying. I'm Brandy. And I'm Red, and we're your scientific scholars this week. Hey! Hey! (laughs) In a fun continuation of last week's episode on whole body donation to science, we thought it'd be poignant to not just regurgitate facts and figures from our research, but ask a professional. He is versed in the field himself, and if you haven't listened to the last episode, Bequeath Your Body Part 1, I highly recommend you take a listen to that before this one, and just so you have a base of understanding of what we're going to talk about and the things that we already covered there. So now that 101 class is out of the way, we can get down to the nitty gritty with today's special guest, Sunny. Hello, Sunny. Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do that makes you such a wonderful resource for today's episode? Yeah. Hey, uh, Brandy and hey, Red. Uh, Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Um, So I am uh, a research coordinator for um, one of the many organizations that does tissue and organ uh, uh, recovery in the United States. And so really, I just uh, oversee a lot of the things that you associate with research, like bringing projects on board, uh, setting up training for them, like getting the legal and regulatory requirements around for our our legal team and our leadership to kind of uh, execute. Um, And I also help prepare abstracts and lead work groups and do a lot of different stuff. So um, I'm across a lot of stuff. Uh, I often jokingly refer to my job as Donation Support Plus. Um, (laughs) We just kind of make it happen. Uh, So uh, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm... thrilled to be here today so thanks for having me yeah absolutely we're very excited for this episode and for you to be a part of it so i thought we would get started with a a kind of easier question something to break the ice so uh what's your favorite organ or organ system man it's funny because like looking at these questions and like thinking about what uh the real answer is uh it's definitely the brain and nervous system um and like Uh, The reason for uh, saying so, I have a background in neuroscience, and so that's part of it. But uh, when I think about the brain, I think about how interesting and and really like um, almost like terrifying it can be to think about the fact that everything we have ever been and uh, and like everything we are ever capable of being is like broken down to electrical signaling and like neurochemical transmission. And so like that's crazy to me that we just have like this, uh, you know, couple pound mass in our head that is our whole existence. Um, yeah. and then like you move to, uh, like the peripheral or like, you know, a little bit, uh, even outside the brain, like your nervous system, like you consider like your nerves and like how your hands and feet move and stuff. And like the amount of like cellular coordination that must take place. And, and really I'm just like a how and why person. So I think that's just so fascinating. And that's, that's why I think it's, it's probably my favorite just because it's so hard to understand. Maybe. I love that too. It's, it's, 
funny to think that we're piloted this giant like flesh yeah. robot that we are is piloted by this little tiny thing up there yeah there's just like a ball of fat like sitting in your skull that drives you and that's crazy <laughs> and we should all acknowledge that absolutely i knew you were gonna come on here and make me think too hard see i i was when i when i wrote this first sentence the like the everything we are or could be i was like oh brandy's gonna hate that <laughs> scary i don't want to scary think about it. it's widow it's widowy terrifying so scary. okay well anyways yeah um all right so how did you end up in this field and what kind of schooling and certifications did you need to get there? Yeah, it's like going from a softball to like uh, like a 95 mile an hour pitch uh, outside. <laughs> it's a weird experience. That, um... it's, yeah, <laughs> it's hard to answer uh, this question, but I'm a Nepo baby. Uh, so <laughs> it's, it's tough, um, because my, I had a family member who worked at this organization, so they kind of got their foot in the door. I didn't have a whole bunch of clinical experience. I, I had uh, volunteered some of my time, uh, during school, like in a morgue and in some labs. Um, so, so some somewhat, uh, uh, you know, that kind of thing, but really not much and, and really just getting into tissue. And that's what I started in. And I did that for like a year and a half, um, just really built a strong like basis in me that I think I still really go back to a lot um, and think about the decision-making skills I had when I was in tissue and like just really the fortitude you have to have, the things you see and go through and like the experience you have with your teammates. And, uh, but that's not to say like I didn't have any experience. So like while I was in mm -hmm. college, I helped run some research labs at our university and I helped set up our um, kind of like the final course you take as a neuroscience student. Mm -hmm. So I helped run that lab. And then when it comes to like certifications, research certifications are so weird and I'm trying to figure this out, right? Just like I'm new to this too. So I'm trying to like kind of navigate this as well. But like there's some tissue research uh, uh, certifications and there's some like organ research certifications you can get on an individual level. But really, like, if you look at it following kind of, and I, and I heard you guys mention like AATB, like following those standards is like really ultimately Ugh. what you're supposed to do. I know it's really ultimately <laughs> what you're supposed to do as like a, as a researcher, as a research coordinator is really just make sure everyone, if you're taking organs, you follow AOPO, which is uh, the American or sorry, the Association of Organ Procurement Organizations and, and what they lay out and also OPTN, which is uh, something, something transplant network. And they oversee a lot of organ stuff, tissues, AATV, but yeah, kind of answer this question is like, I'm trying to figure out what would be most relevant, like to us and what we do, um, and not just go spend a bunch of money, like getting a certification. That's just, uh, like an acronym on a email, you know? So it's, yeah. it's, di it's different. Yeah. I've noticed that with a lot of different, not just necessarily like tissue uh, based programs, but a lot of programs in general that have like a, no a lot of nonsense yes. uh, things that you can get certifications and accreditations in. And it's just like, well, to somebody else, like, oh, it probably sounds fancy and, and useful. But in reality, it's just uh, you paid to play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You paid to put some letters after your name and like. There are instances where that's okay, but like I really am searching for value with these things. So that's why I really am trying to do some research like from an individual basis. Like how can I build my skill set to build continue building our program and like what are the most valuable things I want to take away from those things. So yeah, it's tough. It's the certification world is is I do not envy folks to that have to like deal in that world and work within it at all. <laughs> 
But what would you say with those uh, types of programs that you find yourself in and around? Uh, what are some of the like the largest milestone accomplishments that those programs have made? Oh yeah, so um, this is a great. Uh, th- there are so many, um, and I and I didn't want to get too. I didn't want to put too big of a magnifying glass on this, but. I do want to break it down to a couple different um, projects I've read about recently from partners that we kind of share. And so one, and I really think this kind of applies specifically to this podcast and like to a lot of people out there is, and it's about suicide. And so we're learning a lot more about suicide uh, uh, as time goes on. Um, You know, it is unfortunate, but more people do kill themselves now than ever before. Um, And so... Mm it's uh you know at the same time that it's tragic it's almost like it would be a tragedy not to examine these brains and and understand the reasoning kind of behind maybe if there is a genetic or biological component to suicide and so there's been a recent study that's come out from a national brain repository um but essentially when what it explains is when they analyze the brains of people who took their lives uh, via suicide um, and died via suicide that those brains looked very very genetically and and um biologically different from the brains of people who did not commit suicide and so really yeah 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 so it's it's there are transcriptic factors like with your rna and gene regulation factors they they were looking at and 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 honestly and something i read that was really fascinating i studied fruit flies in college a lot um (laughs) kind of a fun fact and uh, in these (laughs) brains you actually see uh that the expression of anger mimics that of like fruit flies in clinical testing under duress so like yeah yeah so there's some thought that like maybe there is a biological or 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 background genealogical reason that people are more likely to commit suicide than other people so that's really interesting and crazy and something big to think about and kind of like on the other side of the world from brains, right? Like the pancreas. And so um, I think a lot of people know someone who like has diabetes or like was affected uh, or, or is affected in some way by some kind of chronic pancreatic disorder, like pancreatitis or something. Mm-hmm. And it's actually uh, the Center for Medicaid Services came forward and said by 2030 that pancreatic diseases and related cancers would be the second leading cause of death in America. I can believe that for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, especially obesity is on the rise and that definitely has a huge effect on your pancreatic health. Um, and so, but really the thing I want to highlight is a, is a program, uh, that we work with that has basically flipped pancreatic research on its head, which is, uh, uh, not something you hear very typically about research. Like research is kind of the same way it is until there's a breakthrough. And this is kind of where we are with this Mm -hmm. is that, uh, you know, if you're a living person, and you want to get tested uh, to see if you have biological markers for cancer for pancreatic cancer, uh, what they typically do is they take a sample of fat that is around your pancreas. Uh, the reason for this is like in a living person, it's very dangerous to biopsy. Uh, that's a gland, so like it could really mess you up. Mm-hmm. But they take these pieces of fat and they analyze those. So I think you can maybe already see where I'm going with this, that like it's adjacent to the pancreas and it's not the actual tissue. So mm-hmm. these researchers, um, they, they've pulled pancreata from donors, you know, and that's, that's something that is new in the field is, is this uh, donor research. And they uh, have been uh, processing them and finding out that that fat that encapsulates, encapsulates the pancreas is actually not the best source of finding out if someone's going to get cancer or not. It, it needs mm-hmm. to be pancreatic cells. So the last 25 years, we have studied just 
pancreatic adjacent cells. Um, mm-hmm. And now they're saying we need to study pancreatic cells and we need to figure out how. So it's pretty interesting. Like just those two projects have really um, like pulled a, uh, with the brains, with the suicide and with the pancreatic stuff have really pulled a curtain away from a lot of these things for people. Like they really are seeing kind of the impact now. So yeah, that's, th- those are the two that came to mind. And really like, those are huge accomplishments like the, with, with uh, suicide, kind of the, the biological breakdown and with the, with the pancreas stuff. So Try not to keep it too high level, but like with the pancreas stuff, it's just, I, even I struggle with understanding how that all works. So truly fascinating stuff. No, that, that makes Super sense. Super phenomenal. Yeah. Okay, great, great. I worry about with this stuff all the time. I'm like, maybe I'm just talking like, I'm just, it's just nothing. <laughs> I'm in the, the donation sphere, but I don't do like the smart guy stuff. And so that actually <laughs> Neither makes do I, sense so. to me. Shut up. That actually makes sense <laughs> to me. The pancreas stuff. The brain stuff was definitely easier to follow but yeah oh yeah yeah the pancreatic stuff it actually kind of made sense when you said it like that but that's so cool to hear from because like i I would say god it's such a high amount of the people that you know i see uh like at the funeral home like have diabetes and we do see a huge increase in suicide especially like covid didn't help anything um so like for those being some of like the leading causes of death uh in america especially like that is like incredible to hear that um we might be heading in a different trajectory for those numbers you know yeah and uh i think even more it's it's even more um powerful and impactful i think because donors are leading the way with this and i don't think people thought 20 years ago that uh research from organ and tissue donors would be leading the medical field. So that's a huge accomplishment as well for tissue banks, organ banks all across the United States is that the research is increasing and uh, families and donors are really a big part of that. And so, you know, uh, a, a tremendous uh, debt of gratitude is paid to those folks that that sign up to be on these these research lists and, and for these projects. And so it's it's great all around. We've seen more of it recently and it's it's awesome. I love that. So then what does a day in the life look like for you? Who? Well, it's a lot of upkeep. <laughs> yeah. So um, I wish my job was like as fun, as exciting as it used to be. And like I say, fun and exciting, like with the uh, correct sense of morbidity to it. But <laughs> I definitely uh, in, in tissue, there is a different sense of like you are hands on with your donors. You have that effect on that has an effect on you. You feel close to the gift constantly. You're constantly reminded of your mission. But with uh, my daily life now, it's a lot of upkeep. So it's a lot of sending emails and doing policy review, answering questions on cases. That happens a lot. You know, during the day, someone might message me and say, hey, uh, you know, Sonny, we have this question. Um, Should we allocate this organ to this person uh, if it has this disease? And so, you know, I can answer those questions because I'm really... uh, I communicate with our researchers a lot, so I know them even on a better level than kind of their screening questions, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of know what they want to to an extent. And I'm like I said, at kind of the top top of the, the cast, I, I or at the top of my time, I guess, I uh, make those training documents. I help lead work groups. Uh, we have a couple work groups we're working on right now just to really, you know, get things into policy, make sure things work well with our research program. Um, I've recently started doing a lot of public speaking for for my organization um, and and doing that outreach with our research program. And I think that's hugely important, Um, you know, just getting the word out and really letting people like ruminate on important things. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I just like 
both of you, I just want this to be uh, talked about. I want people to know. I want them to have all the knowledge. So that's that's a day in the life. You know, it's a lot of computer work, but I do love getting on site and and helping whenever I can with these cases. So how is that for you, uh, having like transitioned into like the public speaking sphere? Because I know a lot of people like if that's not what you're used to, and now that's what you do. Uh, that there could be a learning curve there. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it has been. Um, I'll say that a quote that really helped me, and maybe it's corny, is uh, fear is the price of admission. And so Hmm. I really stick to my guns with that quote. I I think about it all the time before I publicly speak is like, you could be doing anything today, but the fear of doing this isn't worth not doing it um, and not getting over it and not overcoming it. And so, but I have always been kind of a good public speaker. I gave a speech at my graduation to a bunch of folks. I didn't really even feel any way about that because I thought, oh, I know all of these people, like who cares? And so right, um, right. <laughs> it's it's been a, a bigger transition, you know, going in front of universities or, or, or whatever, talking about this. But um, I'm really just, I, I love good questions and I love discussion. So that helps me. Um, you know, I do Q and A's and stuff like that. And and just really being able to like listen to people and hear what they have to say. And, and, and um, so many people have good questions that people just don't take a second to listen to them. Mm-hmm. I love doing that. And so that's maybe there's my soapbox a little bit about the public speaking. <laughs> but yeah, I, I do enjoy it. It is a lot of fun being able to get all these different perspectives on what all of us do. Wonderful. How, uh, how many donors would you say go through some types of these research every year? Whew, that's a good question, too. Um, it's kind of hard to say. I would say every donor family gets the right and the permission to deny research and education authorization, even aside from whatever registry you're on, whatever lists you've signed up for, your family gets the final say um, uh, about research and education. And so, you know, first and foremost, if we have authorization, we are really going to go out of our way to make sure we can find a placement for, for something for research. But I would say, um, and, and this number has gone drastically up in the last couple of years, but I'd say, you know, 75 to 80% of all of our donors are having some kind, or sorry, all of our organ donors are having some kind of research done uh, with their tissues or with um, urine or with blood. Mm-hmm. And uh, tissue donors, it's probably more like 10 to 20%, but the volume is so much higher. So that's something to consider as well. Like with organ, you might do you know, a couple hundred, but with, with tissue where, where we are, you're going to do uh, 2000 uh, donors or you're going to, oh, wow. you're going to do 2000 recoveries. So it's, it's, uh, it's a case of volume and it's a case of just like sample size. So really it's, it's kind of boils down to that. And also research projects. Cause yes. in tissue, there are a lot less available research projects than in organs where they have tons and tons of projects to pick from. (laughs) Yes, uh, agreed. Our organ department has many, many, many more projects, and it really does just go down to what are people studying. And and what people are studying are the brain in, in the tissue side, and they're looking at all of the transplantable organs. So it really is tough. We try and do as much tissue research as we can. Um, I heard uh, you guys talking about the uh, disaster relief dogs or, or some kind of task force relief dogs. Mm-hmm. That's great. I think that is a wonderful way to get families involved. You know, that is something that is not even a huge question to ask, but a lot of people will say, wow, look at the impact of that. So 
you know, I think I, I think that's really crucial and really important. But I'd say in general, like over 50% of all of our donors total probably have some kind of research. Oh, wow. I mean, what would you say, like, is the reason for the uptick in the last few years for the influx of, uh, like, research that has been able to, to happen? I mean, if you weren't having as many donors before, what was that, like, turning point? Yeah, now would be where, like, I'd have the Stone Cold music come on, and I'd say, it was me. Um, (laughs) No, no. Sonny started in that position, and that was it. (laughs) Yeah, I I really struggle to uh, not, like, I want to be humble about this, because there's so, so, so many more people involved than just me. But I think just getting me involved with it and, and putting someone in front of the research that was is oddly passionate um i have like an extreme amount of passion for anything i set my mind to especially about what we do and and i'm really driven so when i really want something i get it done um and i think both of those things i've just kind of like choke held everyone into position and said like (laughs) we're gonna do this and we're gonna make it work the right way (laughs) and so but it's been many things we we've increased our staffing um we like I said, we've been more forward-facing with our research, so we've really told people the purpose and the reasoning, and we've gotten involved in uh, donor family events, and, and but it's been a lot of things. Just just really turning it and making it visible and making it a thing that everybody knows about has been a huge help. I was going to say, if there's going to be a place to toot your horn, it's definitely here. In yeah, town, yeah, so. yeah. Okay, then then I I did enough horn tooting, um, but no, I I really in in all these situations, I always turn it back on our people. Like it's. Brandy could tell you, but just like it's the people uh, like build me up and it's crazy how great they are. Um, you know, we, we have troubles and stuff, but really the thing that backs us all up is, is that commonality about what we all do. So we all just understand each other. So it's, it's, it's great. So of all the calls that you get from researchers, what percentage would you say have to be turned away? And then what projects do you tend to favor? Mm, yeah. Um, so we probably, well, I probably turn away less than maybe 20 or 30% of our projects, like two or three out of 10. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds crazy, but like, it's, it's kind of true. Um, I, like I said about institutionalizing like the chokehold um, to get people to do what, what we need to do. It's really like just trying to bring on as many things as we can that are manageable. Um, and so any like project where, uh, for a long time, we didn't have any projects that supported a pancreatic need. And so I just identified a couple programs uh, locally that looked like they could support that and then reached out and kind of got it set up. And But on the other end of the spectrum, like when people reach out to me, I'm really looking for projects that are going to have uh, a huge effect on transplant and or patient outcomes that will not have a huge effect on like consumerism or like pharmacological like uh money making if that makes sense so like when a project comes to us uh, uh, the perfect project for me would be like someone coming and saying like on the organ side coming and saying we want hearts um that are not safe for transplant to analyze them to see if there's a way we could transplant them if we did something else and i'd go oh that sounds great like i want to get you guys on board immediately um, you know, we'd go through the legal framework and all that stuff and, and pending all that, like we'd get to the point where we'd start doing some, giving them some hearts. 
kind of like a worst case scenario is when a, a, a team reaches out and they say, well, you know, we're a, we're a very for, we're a very large like for profit entity that wants to do device creation. So they want to create a medical device or they want to create some kind of drug or pharmacological solution that is going to uh, make a ton of money on the backbones of things that do not generate money. And then also possibly put a strain on those like those groups of people like pharmacologically or otherwise like things should just be available. They you know, you shouldn't have to pay millions of dollars or thousands of dollars, sorry, to like get your insulin or something like that. So we really try and support projects that are like keep the public interest in mind like that and and that are going to keep transplant in mind as well. Yeah, screw late stage capitalism. <laughs> yeah, that's what, you know, a nice way to say it. No, no, no. I agree, though. Like, it's crazy. The. uh the amount of money that is made in the medical industry. And really like that's, I just, we will not be a part of that. Um, it's, it, we don't need to be donors don't need to generate things like that. They can generate things that, uh, pro- that, uh, are good for a nonprofit field without profit. And it makes a lot of sense. So we just don't need those for-profit entities like that. What would you say some of the bigger challenges in your field that you're facing at this time? Oh man, a couple, like, there are a couple things. I think one thing that everybody talks about um, with tissue and organ donation is are the bad actors, the people you hear about, you know, the, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's something that for a long time and, and really uh, uh, had a, a negative effect when I started with the research stuff was places in the news selling body parts without families knowing about what they were going towards or, uh, yes. you know, funeral home. <laughs> yes, exa- you guys talked about it, I think. And and those situations come up, but the thing is, is, is all of that is removed with proper vetting, proper auditing, and proper on-site visits. And so that's what I do a lot with our partners in our research programs is if they work with us, I'm going to visit you and I'm going to come out there and I'm going to audit your process. And I'm going to make sure that whatever you tell me and whatever I tell uh, my staff to tell the family is completely 100% accurate, crystal clear. And I think away from that a little bit, like away from the spotlight and more like kind of technical, I think a lack of control samples nationwide is is cropping up. And I think it's going to continue to keep cropping up. And when I say like control, I mean, uh, we talked about this with, we just talked about this with pancreatic diseases, like obesity is on the rise. Well, not just obesity is on the rise, but like heart disease, neuro neuroaffective disorders, like autism, spectrum disorder, uh, schizophrenia, dementia, Alzheimer's are all on the rise. And so what we continue to see is a decline in folks who are dying that are relatively healthy and an increase in people dying who are relatively unhealthy and have diseases. And so Mm. when those numbers start to kind of fluctuate, you get away from having these samples that you can compare things to, you know. If you're drinking, uh, you know, if you're trying Diet Coke and Diet Pepsi and you don't have a water as your control group, like you're doing something wrong. And so that's what all these researchers need is that healthy control group. And it's becoming rarer and rarer and rarer to have a neurotypical person or have someone who doesn't suffer from, you know, some kind of obesity or uh, diabetes or, um, you know, vascular peripheral disease or something like that. So, you know, those two things I would say have, have a huge effect on us. I really would have never thought about that being an issue. That's, I mean, well, I mean, obviously it's an issue, but <laughs> like that's that's crazy to think about. So, okay, so we've talked a lot about the programs that happen at our facility, but can you tell us about the process of donating whole body uh, to a different program and how you help facilitate that? Yeah, definitely. Um, from our perspective and or from my perspective, working, uh, you know, with uh, an organ procurement organization, 
mostly I just align the people. Um, and so that's a huge part of my job. And like, um, I love doing it is just communication. And so, you know, many times I'll get like an email or a phone call or a voicemail or something that's from a family that has um, been turned down for donation already because of, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia is a rule out for donation. Uh, a lot of people would probably be surprised to hear that. Um, but there are some studies that suggest that it can be transmittable. I know that's also crazy, but, you know, don't get me on my soapbox about that because that's also <laughs> that's also based on really old research that might or might not be true. So, like, don't, really don't get me started on that. But, um, <laughs> but since we don't do whole body, um, largely what I do is connect people to the programs that do. So we have a couple different medical schools uh, in our state and we're lucky for that, that like we have a huge availability of these programs like to even kind of fluctuate uh, when they are and are not accepting whole body donors. But if, if all else fails, uh, and I can probably actually give them a quote because they're a, 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 a small plug because they're a national um, uh, agency, but Science Care Direct uh, is a national whole body program. And when everything else fails for me, um, when, when our local pro programs can't, help a family, um, when our local medical schools or like when a researcher can't, I, I turn to Science Care Direct because they deal with national whole body donations. So they are really the experts of like those folks who have not been helped yet and have not been gotten to the next step. And so, but yeah, largely it's just, commu just communicating with them. Just, you know, if I can be a steward to get you to the next person who can help you, that's what I'm going to do. And that's my goal with, with a lot of whole body donors and, and the people that want to do that. That's fantastic, too, because especially as like a family um, that's just trying to do good with all this, they don't have those resources. So yeah. being able to network for them like that is so needed. Yeah. And it's like for them, it would probably probably be like a lengthy Google search and probably a couple emails and phone calls. But like you call me and I have it all on my list. And so it, it, it it's literally instantaneous. And so it's such a good process. And I've met so many uh, donor families that are so grateful for these opportunities um, uh, to be able to make something out of this, like the most horrible day of your life, being able to make something out of it. So whole body programs are wonderful. I could, I could plug them all day. They're, they're awesome. So since I have a um, morbid curiosity, yeah. uh, if you couldn't tell from the, the last episode, I, I really have to ask this. Have you ever heard of or encountered a body broker personally? Yeah. So th that's interesting. Um, no, I, I haven't experienced one uh, first person for sure. Uh, a lot of that is probably because of, like I kind of mentioned before, like how strongly I vet people. Um, and so I'm not just like Googling your organization. I'm not just Googling you. I'm calling the people I have worked with, the people that have worked with you, um, different universities that you say you're affiliated to. I'm calling their departments to make sure that you are a good person. Um, and so I don't have any experience with those people because I think I have a good nose for them, first of all. Um, maybe maybe they have emailed me, but maybe I instantly went, oh, no, we don't want to do that. And so maybe that has happened. But, like, for the most part, uh, I can vet out any of those kind of um, what I would consider less than uh, non-scrupulous people, like, before we even get to the point where I'm like, oh, this could be a bad thing. Um, I will say, like, I do have experience kind of secondhand with them because I have colleagues all over the mm. United States uh, and so I'm very, very familiar with a couple recent incidents that a couple different organizations were implicated with. Um, and it really does just come down to doing your due diligence. Uh, you have to be a good investigator. Like you almost develop skills like doing the research job that I do that like 
you would never develop anywhere else. Like you have to be able to put on that PI hat for a little bit and go, I have to ask some tough questions and like send some really, you know, difficult emails sometimes. And, and, and I think at the end of the day, when, you know, a program or an organization runs up against that and they have had that happen where, you know, they didn't even know something bad was happening. Mm-hmm. I, I Maybe I'm a little biased, but I think it could have been caught. I, I think a, a lot of these situations, they don't audit folks. Um, you know, I do like yearly, like I said, yearly on-site visits with, with most, if not all of our researchers. Um, the only ones I wouldn't would be like universe, university affiliations where they have their own audit process, but definitely anybody that doesn't have a university affiliation, we are doing on-site audits with. So it's, you know, it's tough. I really, the bad actors do make it bad for all of us. So it's, it's incredibly difficult. I think that speaks a lot to like the integrity of your program though. And of course yourself that you really haven't had to deal with any of these before. Like that's not even on your radar no, because yeah. of how like upstanding you guys are. <laughs> I try. I really try. I, I know like, you know, research in general, just it's, it's hard to understand. You know, you're already dealing with the death. You're already, um, you know, answering all these questions about, um, uh, organ donation and tissue donation and this, that, and the other thing. And so I really think like families should be confident when they do research with us, they should be confident that in 20 years they can call us and we could tell them anything and everything that happened with their loved one's tissue or organ. So I I take a lot of pride in that fact. And thank you for saying that. Yeah. Okay. I have one last question. (laughs) Oh no. Off script questions. Secret Secret (laughs) question. The final gauntlet. Oh no. Okay. I made sure that this one was not sent to you. That this one stayed off. Okay. Because okay. I had I had to. Um tell me your I wanna hear your weirdest, wildest donor story. I want you to pull something from the depths of being a tissue tech and tell Man. me about your weirdest <laughs> night. <laughs> weirdest night. You know, what's funny is maybe this is TMI, but I just restarted therapy today. Uh, shouts out to me getting my hey. mental health back in check. <laughs> um, but that is something we talked about. She's like, you, you, you know, that job, that's, that's a lot of trauma. And I'm like, oh yeah, um, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, God, and all of this is just giving me time to think. Uh, I think maybe I'll give two and then we can decide like which one would be like, like, better or something but i, I yeah, kind of we'll have two in mind <laughs> yeah just go for it but one is and and it's something we don't deal with a lot but is pregnant donors um and so like maybe this is like way too graphic or whatever but like um you know if someone passes away a, a, a woman or, or someone who's bearing a child passes away um doesn't need to be a woman but if they if they pass away and they have a child in them um they can still be a tissue donor um mm-hmm. and that is an extremely sensitive thing um, uh, for many people, you know, especially like miscarriages and things like that. We had a case that this same exact thing happened um, where the mother came in and she had suffered from some kind of, you know, pre-birth ailment and had passed away and, and so her baby. And, uh, you know, in those moments when you're you're there as a tissue procurement specialist and you're looking at this authorization and you see that this woman signed her name and said she wanted to be a registered donor, like we would be doing a disservice to her if we did not make her a tissue donor. And, and so, on top yeah. of that, we're asking the family too. Yes. And if the family's like, yeah, that's what we want. And exactly. So then we all stand in that room looking yep. at this woman and just needing to carry out essentially her final wishes. Yep, yep, exactly. And that's like, that is what I would always go back to is like, you know, as many, like, can I swear? 
Oh yeah. Okay. As like as <laughs> oh, many yeah. like yeah. All right. Like as many like fucked up things as you see. Like it definitely does always draw you back. That like okay, we are like for me, I am a registered donor. If I like if I have a way of finding out after I die that I die and someone didn't make me a tissue or organ donor because it was their choice and it was and it was actually them just going against my choice i'll be pissed as hell dog i will haunt the fuck oh, out of them yeah. like as, from the for grave. as long as i can um but but that that happened and that's really difficult you know like i wasn't a father at that point and so so i had different feelings about it i think than some other people but just really sensitive for that regard and then the second one and this is one like man there really are like two more i could talk about but i'm really just going to stop with the next one um we had a gentleman come in and Brandy knows exactly which which case I'm talking it. about. It was within I probably <laughs> probably my first two or three weeks starting at uh, this place. And oh, so you were just a baby? I was. I had tissue tech, and I was yes. like, "Oh no!" I had barely seen donors. I had barely been around dead people um, outside of like a funeral home or, or or morgue or something like that. I had not seen a lot of trauma. So we had this individual come in um, that was a suicide um, from uh, self-inflicted like stab wounds. Oh my god! And but it wasn't like what you think. Um, he started with his arms, but he went the long way, mm. and he started at his wrist and went to his elbow, Holy shit. basically down to his bone on his left hand. And then that didn't do the job because he was so hopped up on painkillers and stuff and other other items that were in his toxicology that he then went to his right arm and started doing the same thing. That also didn't put him out. So he then called an ambulance and told them you need to get someone over here and he sliced his own throat. Oh my God. The ambulance gets there and they are able to trach him through the open hole that he has created by slicing his own throat. It was insane. So I am in the OR setting up, doing my own thing, listening to music, jamming, just getting in the mood for for a regular (laughs) day. None the wiser. None the wiser. (laughs) I was was Tinkerbell before, or sorry, I was Peter Pan before Tinkerbell showed up and... (laughs) Brandy walked over, opened the door, and said, uh, I barely even knew her at this point. Like It was truly just like an act of good faith from one <laughs> person trying to preserve another person's sanity. And she's like, you are going to want to take it easy. Like, if you don't, are, like, you know, basically just explaining kind of what happened. And I walked in, and I just remember thinking, like, holy shit. Like, this is my second week. Like, what am I going to see here? And... <laughs> What am I getting? It's crazy because it almost never got worse than that. So like, it's almost like within two weeks, I was like, all right, I've seen like the worst thing I could ever see. That's probably not going to get much worse. Um, He took it like a champ too. I was really proud. He like came over and was like, oh yeah, that seems fine. And me and our other coworker. I scared you guys. We were, yeah, we were looking (laughs) at each other because I came from the morgue. So I'd seen some stuff. Our other coworker had come from the ER. So he'd seen some stuff. Yeah. And we were both like. Our little lab boy doesn't care. <laughs> you, yeah, it <laughs> probably right. was. He's a in. We were like, crazy that's moment. it. <sighs> that's I'm, it. I, he's, he's here. Hearing about it in retrospect right now, that feels good. <laughs> that that was like the okay, he can hang moment. Like, yeah, we were like, oh yeah, <laughs> okay, he's, okay, he's got cool. it. But it was truly one of the craziest ways to die. And so they had gotten him almost to the OR. He made it all the way to the hospital intubated through his neck hole that he created yep to do experimental surgery and then he he unfortunately passed away they they got rosk on him yeah they they got him back in the ambulance which is the 
a feat of Crazy. modern medicine that I could not even explain. Like I, I, I don't even know. Um, that was one of the craziest ones for me too, and I still yeah. I'll never forget it. No, that one. Honestly, no. Holy shit, dude! That's even honestly probably like tops some of the stories that I have. Like that's well, because <laughs> we're seeing people from all over the state. And it's, it can be anything. It can be a motor vehicle accident. We're getting mm-hmm. referrals from the the morgues, the um, counties and everything for their deaths, which are, you know, overdoses and accidents and homicides. And we see homicides sometimes. Like, it's crazy, the the things that come through. Yeah, well, we, and good good on you, mate. <laughs> First Stick it month in. on the job. Yeah. I was, uh, I was at a point with my professional life that uh, if didn't work out we were going to have a lot of a laundry list of problems so we were we were going to make it work regardless <laughs> well it really truly has been a blast and a privilege to have you on Mort Mike Sunny I I know that I sure learned a whole lot more even after having researched for our last episode is there any like socials or programs you may want to plug or final words you have for our body bequeathing buffs out there oh man no I, I really do want to just say thank you I, I really appreciate the opportunity I know um, you know research for a lot of people and and they hear the word research and they're like what does it even mean and so like research affects all of us um, uh, it really does like look at the phones in front of you or the food you eat or like the lifestyle you live and R&D had a place in all of that. Uh, it makes sure like we stay safe and we have the uh, peak medical uh, you know necessities that we are supposed to have, even though you know we have problems with that in America's you know obviously and not going to get into that. But really, my plug here for people is sign up to be a donor. Um, it is the most selfless thing you can do. You know, once you're gone, uh, it is a gift, uh, and, and genuinely, the most selfless thing you can do is to give that gift of life to someone else. You know, to restore sight uh, or to restore mobility um, or even to save that life with your heart or your lungs or your liver or something like that. And it's a little personal to me now, oddly, um, and makes me a little emotional weirdly talking about it. But my uh, a family member of mine just became a heart recipient. And so, you know, what made that possible for her was a donor and someone that made that selfless choice to sign up. And so they saved her life. So. You know, go sign up if you, uh, you know, maybe I can plug Donate Life America has a national registry. Um, You can look that up online. It's DLA Donate Life America. Or if you are in, you know, just want to sign up on kind of through your state, you can reach out to any of your local OPOs or tissue procurement organization uh, and they will uh, direct you in the kind of the right direction on how to do that. Uh, I don't think every state operates the same way. um, So little asterisk to that, but um, you know, if you have that information on your driver's license that makes you a donor, it really does just help someone when you're gone. And what a more beautiful thing. So that's all I got. Really just thank you both. I, I have me back. I'd love to come back. It was so much fun. So <laughs> And we'd love to have you back. Thank you all again. And that's gonna be it this week on Mort Mike. So connect with us on our socials at Facebook and YouTube at Mort Mike Podcast. And if you have any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear about or burning questions you might have about death, shoot us an email at mortmikepodcast at gmail.com. A huge thanks to Joey, our dedicated studio gopher, Marson Music for our theme Deputies of Death, and Macklin Legan for our custom icons and banners. And be sure to tune in the first Thursday of every month for some more casual discussions on death. Thanks so much for listening. This has been Mort Mike. Bye. Bye, creeps.